Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be talking with brain tumor survivor Lynn McLaughlin. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Drs. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice, and I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project, and author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I am editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast series at facesoftbi.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And don't forget to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Lynn McLaughlin, and after the diagnosis of a brain tumor in 2013 and the subsequent surgery and recovery, Lynn was able to gradually move back into her complex role as a superintendent of education. It meant finding different ways of communicating, working, and coping as she grew to know and understand her new self. Lynn is now driven to help others become self-advocates learning to make conscious decisions and altering potentially negative outcomes, putting ourselves in the driver's seat. So welcome to the podcast, Lynn. I'm so happy to have you here today. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, Lynn, I am excited to hear all about your journey. Um, And you know, a uh, brain tumor survivor that had to have been a shocking diagnosis. And, um, you know, as many people listening, I'm sure can relate, you know, it, it literally changes your world in the blink of an eye. So I would love for, to start with you just sharing your story of, you know, the diagnosis and what that felt like, um, and then what the procedure was from there. Absolutely. Well, if I go back into that time, uh, time stops. That's, that's the way I describe it. Time stops, literally. And I, you, I could describe what it looked like in that moment when I was told. But I had just finished um, my first year in a new role as a superintendent of education in a school board with 35,000 students. And my portfolio was very complex. I was responsible for all of special education needs, so over 5,000 students at that time, um, educational support staff, extremely, so I'll just say it was a it was a steep learning curve. And during that year, and actually a year before that, I had been having some symptoms, and I had just turned 50 years old. 
And uh, uh, part of what I'm doing today is trying to help people to not ignore symptoms and seek assistance as soon as something is odd or off. Um, it, it started with, it started with um, just beginning fatigue. You know, I was a little bit tired, but I mean, my goodness, I was driving 45 minutes to work and back. I had three teenage children at the time. My oldest had just moved away to university. My other two were in high school, very active in sports in the community. My husband was a police officer working a continental shift. And the way I describe it is I was burning the candle not only at both ends, but in the middle, <laughs> as many of us do, Right. So I started right. having some fatigue. Yeah, started having some fatigue. Okay, well, my gosh, look what, I'm, look what I'm trying to accomplish in any given day. Makes sense. I'm tired. So what? Get over it, right? <laughs> uh, we used to say, suck it up, buttercup. Anyway, uh, so fatigue. And then I started, I started having some dizziness and some lightheadedness. And the year before, a super, uh, superintendent, I was in a school, in, uh, principal of a school in the city of Windsor. And after the fact, people would say, Lynn, remember, you you used to have to go sit down on the stairs because you were feeling lightheaded. And I always said, oh, I didn't get enough water. It's a really hot day. I haven't had my lunch yet. I explained those symptoms away. First the fatigue, then the dizziness. Um, And then so I started having dizziness really turned into bouts of vertigo. I did go see an audiologist, and it was just something I had to live with. It wasn't extreme enough. It just became part of who I was, especially, you know, in those quiet times when uh, then I had tinnitus. That's the reason I went to see the audiologist. Tinnitus, that 24-7 ringing in my left ear. I found a way to cope with it. All right, so now I've got fatigue. I've got bouts of dizziness, and I've got tinnitus. All right, I went and saw an audiologist. Oh, sorry, actually, it was an ear, nose, throat um, uh, a specialist. No big deal. Then I started to get blurred vision, and I saw my optometrist, and he said to me, Lynn, I do not see any cause for this, but I, you know, given everything you've told me, you need to go and see your family doctor. Did I? Do you think I did, Amy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I still carried on. I thought, okay, I've turned 50. It's, you know, my body's changing. I've started this new job. I'm just doing too much. This is going to be fine. And then the headaches started. And at first the headaches were, I mean, they were, they were always localized right in the middle of my forehead. So those headaches started and, and then I just stopped pop- popping Advil, like ibuprofen. I just spoke. And then uh, one day at work, and I write about this in the book that I wrote, one day at work, uh, my headache was so extreme, I called my brother. He let me into his house, and I crashed on the couch after popping probably three Advils. And even then, and that's when I actually said, okay, it's time. And I did go see my family doctor. And at that point, I was waking up in the morning as well with extreme headaches, which I now know. And for our listeners, this is a very important piece. If you go, don't go to bed with a headache and you wake up with one and you haven't been drinking or partaking the night before, <laughs> and that happens on a regular basis, it is a red flag. Um, he sent me for an MRI. I sat up from that machine and they sent me right to emergency. And so I was alone. And the diagnosis, alone in the emergency room, you know, with the curtains all around you and this patient's being told this on this side and this other person's being told that, um, they told me I had a brain tumor, and it was the size of a golf ball uh, growing in my left temporal lobe, and uh, I was extremely lucky that I was not in a coma. I had not had any seizures. My brain had actually shifted a full centimeter to the right because of the edema, the pressure that that tumor was causing in my brain, and that pressure was why when I woke up in the morning, my headaches were so extreme, 
because lying horizontally for that level of, of time overnight increased the pressure. So that was the diagnosis. That was the day I say, I can still, I can still see her standing there in her white coat and talking to me, and literally she just froze for, it was probably two seconds of time in my mind, but it seemed like a century. Like I, I still remember that moment. I'm sorry to tell you, you have a brain tumor. And then it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and immediate steroids and a referral to a neurosurgeon. Four days later, I saw my neurosurgeon. It, it was just shocking. Is I, I, I can't find the word. I don't know. Yeah. You're, everything stops in that moment. And what you thought you were going to be doing five minutes later, a day later, a week later, it's all done. It's all over. You've you got to find a new way. And did the doctors give you any indication of how long they suspected it may have been there? Yeah, that's a tricky one. So uh, they thought it's maybe two to three years, but it became quite aggressive in the last, in the last several months. So yeah, when I went back two years in time and I started thinking about those symptoms and I, I mean, I don't want to make an assumption that the fatigue was due to the tumor, but it could have very well have been a contributing factor. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had um, pro BMXer Josh Perry. He um, is uh, the recent feature story in the magazine and he had been a pro BMX, you know, bike rider, um, stunt, stunt bike rider. um, And he kept complaining of these incredible migraines and like they were debilitating and the doctors just kept blowing him off, telling him, oh, it's just, you know, probably just post-concussion syndrome, you know, given, given your occupation, that's probably all it is. And he kept demanding more answers and no one would, um, you know, they, he demanded an MRI and they were like, nope, nope, you don't need one. It's just post-concussion. And finally he had an accident with his bike and he blacked out and blacking out triggered an MRI. Okay. Cause mm. Oh, you mm-hmm. finally met the criteria to get an MRI. Yeah. He had a massive brain tumor. <laughs> And it's just like, you know, it's in hindsight for him, it was so frustrating. He'd been going for two, three years already complaining of this persistent migraine. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I get it that that headaches are tricky. They're very, very tricky. They can come from a lot of different reasons, right? Um, But I would think as a patient that keeps complaining of a persistent headache, you know, what's the harm in looking a little deeper and getting an MRI, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and worst case scenario, there's nothing there, right? Or best case scenario, there's nothing there. Um, So, you know, it is, it's interesting, the whole headache concept and how you said you were going to bed without one, but waking up with one every morning. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there might be people listening right now that have that going on. And, you know, it doesn't automatically mean you have a brain tumor. I don't want everyone to freak out, but, um, (laughs) you know, it's definitely a warning sign. It's definitely, yep, something to pay attention to. Something is different. So if something is persistent, I never had migraines. I mean, I had headaches, but I've never had anything I would describe as a migraine that would actually cause me to have to go and lie down and, you know, so I, my, my advice is if you've got something that, is, that you've not experienced before, it's happening on a regular basis, and it's changing your life, it's debilitating, you've got to go get it checked. You, you really mm-hmm. do. Now, I'm in Canada, so, I mean, I, 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 I have, what can I say? My treatment was incredible. The cause for my delay was totally on me. I own all of that. 
And I could have had other options if we'd have discovered that tumor sooner. If I had gone in with the symptoms and they had ordered an MRI, I might have been able to use some of the treatments such as radiation to shrink the tumor uh, and those kinds of things. But it was so large at that time. And steroids, the steroids they put me on, uh, I mean, that's a whole other kettle of fish going on heavy-duty steroids. That's a holy <laughs> – we could talk about that yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, they would only work for three weeks to shrink that swelling, and then I'd be right back to square one. So I had to have my surgery within three weeks. So people say, did you look at other options? I went for a second opinion. I live in uh, Kingsville, Ontario, which is 45 minutes away from Detroit. We went to Henry Ford, got a second opinion. They basically said every single thing, you've got to have this out. Um, you don't have a choice now. So my advice to people is if you can get to the symptoms earlier and have options. I mean, having brain surgery is it's a whole different kettle of fish. If you can avoid it mm-hmm. and still have a quality of life using other treatment options, then that's probably your best option, although we're all individuals. And, I mean, there are over 120 different known brain tumors right now, and they all cause something different. 65% of them, um, and this is a statistic that's across North America, 65% of tumors are non-malignant, um, but they, they change your life significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Lynn, mm-hmm. I'm curious, after your surgery, was there any mention to you that you had a traumatic brain injury? Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, good. Um, uh, I, I was directed to our, uh, our Brain Injury Association, actually, and a support group through the Brain Injury Association, which is very interesting because, I, I mean, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I didn't feel like I fit in. It, it's, a, it's just, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Most of the people were there, um, had experienced a trauma like you did, Amy, uh, or through a car accident or uh, an aneurysm, which is very similar to what I have, or a stroke. But I just didn't, I didn't, when I discovered the Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada, I felt I fit there. I don't know. It was, there was a, there's a more of a commonality, I think even though there's 120 different types of brain tumors and different people have their own paths and there's a variety of treatments, I found my place with the Brain Tumor Foundation. And you, you have a similar organization in the United States as well. So. Yeah, yeah, I know for Josh Perry, it wasn't until he was on Dr. Amen's podcast that um, he realized he had a brain injury because um, anytime, you know, you open up the skull and I mean, you know, whether they're removing a tumor or they're, they're making way to get to the tumor, you know, regardless, you're doing some damage to the brain. And mm-hmm. um, it explained, cause you know, again, going back, he had, he had been uh, a BMXer and had suffered numerous concussions over the course of his career. Um, but it all made sense to him after they explained that, you know, Hey, having a brain tumor removed in of itself is a brain injury. And I have met so many people over the course of the last few years who've had brain surgeries, you know, having a tumor removed and had no idea that, that that's, what was causing all these crazy symptoms afterwards, you know, like memory loss or um, Uh aphasia or fatigue. Um, So, yeah, I'm glad that you got that information early. Um, And were you, did you, did you find any specific symptoms that you were having after the, after the surgery? (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, um, well, I, so I was released. I mean, I spent a day in ICU. I was released from the hospital four days earlier. When you, you go through something like that, you, I couldn't even push myself up to sit up in the bed at first, right? So, I mean, 
you talk about the physical piece. It was it was five days before I could actually uh, walk holding a handrail to the visitor's lounge and back in the hospital. So the physical piece alone, it's the exhaustion. I mean, you're, you're, and your brain is now having to do reconnections, the swelling in your brain immediately after the brain surgery. They, I, I mean, I was told by my neurosurgeon, it's two full years before you actually discover the new you because your brain has to figure things out in a different way and heal. So, yeah, I mean, I had... I failed the test before I left the cognitive test before I left the hospital. I mean, uh, if you're, if you were Amy, if you were the person giving me the assessment, I probably asked what your name was 10 times in a half hour session. I mean, there's, there's just nothing there in terms of short term memory, long term memory. I had yeah. many, many holes. Um, and I really didn't discover what those holes were right away. They just over time, it was my kids would say, Hey mom, what about, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. Or I'd look at a picture and say, what, uh, what? Long-term memory, short-term memory. Um, my, 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 I still, my, my friends and family still call it Lin Lingo because I mix up words all the time. They get it, actually. <laughs> they figured me out now that my use of vocabulary was way off. For a month, I think, my, my kids actually started walking away. They were so tolerant. I would use the word rocking. I couldn't find another verb. This rocks, that rocks, this rocks. You rock. Everything's rocking. <laughs> And I was on a high. Now, part of that was for this, due to the steroids, but, oh, many, many, many issues. And I, I was blessed to have a neuropsychologist make some pretty clear recommendations to me, which in my book, Steering Through It, I write about because I, I, I was blessed to have medical insurance. I mean, in Canada, my entire procedure was entirely paid for. There wasn't a penny coming out of my pocket. But to have, um, to pay for a full assessment and require a neuropsychologist, that requires money, right? Sometimes thousands of dollars. And I had coverage. So I wrote about those recommendations in the book because some people, you know, you get home from the hospital five days after brain surgery and you think you need to be doing uh, memory games. Your brain is still healing at that time. But how are you supposed to know that? This is a whole new world for you. So those experts telling you, you got to give it time. The fatigue is incredible after a brain surgery. You've got to rest when your body says to rest. If you need to have a nap 10 times a day, then you have a nap 10 times a day. Because it's not just your body healing. It's your brain. It's your emotions. It's all of it because you've, you've just been through so much trauma. It's trauma. Yes. Yes. And the whole fatigue, the neural fatigue after a brain injury is truly unlike any other form of fatigue. It is so hard to explain to people, um, you know, when you say that you're tired and you need to take a nap and they're like, well, I'm tired too, but you know, I don't have the luxury of taking a nap. And it's like, well, for me, if I don't take a nap, then I am done functioning. Like I'm done, done, done. Right. Um, And it's so hard for an outsider. Yeah, let me give you an example. I mean, I, I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to cook. Oh, there were notes all around my house about what I was allowed and not allowed to do because I went through a period of extreme mania, mania, and I did some very, fright, very frightening things. And I was happy, go lucky. I had no idea. I spent thousands of dollars online shopping just because, hey, why not? I'll put it on my credit card. Who cares? I mean, I could just go on and on and about the things that I did because I was weaned off the steroids too quickly, is the bottom line, and I had reactions to medications. But here's an example. So, I've got people watching me as I'm preparing a recipe. I can't remember the first thing in a recipe. Oh, here's the ingredient list. I'm going to take them out one at a time, and I read half a cup of sugar, and then I go to walk to the cupboard. Oh, oh wait, 
what was that? What was that? I go back. And then I have to take the list with me to the cupboard. And thank goodness I could read, although I, I had trouble with um, comprehension of my of reading for quite some while. The, it, it took three times, if not longer, to actually put the ingredients in a bowl for a recipe that anyone else would take two minutes to do. That's what exhaustion is. So by the time you're done that and your brain is just firing at all charges and trying to figure out a way around this, you need an app. You need to give it a break. <laughs> anyway, that's just one example yeah. of I'm sure we can share countless. So, Lynn, um, you were able to get back to work in your uh, position as superintendent. Um, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what that looked and how long it took you to get back to work. Well, six months after the surgery, I thought I was, you know, tickety-boo. I was ready. Let's go. And my neuropsychologist just said he absolutely refused to even do an assessment until uh, uh, probably about a month later. He and my husband were talking behind <laughs> in the background. I wasn't aware of it now, but, I, you know, she's not ready. He's saying she's not ready. Um, so I went in and did an assessment, and uh, I had made great gains from uh, the first one that I'd had, which which identified all of the gaps, and he made recommendations to me. Uh, so, yeah, I it was about four weeks after that assessment, and I got the results, and we'd gone in and had a, a feedback session with him. And so this is very, very critical. I was in an executive role with huge responsibilities. I mean, just imagine if I had given the wrong if I had put the wrong supports in for a child with autism or I had directed a support, a, a staff member to go and do something that was, you know, dangerous or, or et cetera, it, 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 was, it was very, very daunting. So thank, thankfully, um, my employer was, was second to none. And I job shared with the lady that stepped into my job. Her name is Vicki, phenomenal person, very, very dear friend. Vicki and I job shared. I went back to work. March on a graduated return. This is so, so important for people to think about. I went three days a week, and the, the premise on that was I would go to work on Monday, and then Tuesday I would have to consolidate to relearn because, you know, nine months out, a lot of things change in the school board. I had to relearn things. And ironically, one of the things I forgot was all the legislation, that long-term memory gap, and I knew I would never remember it again. So on those days off, I was tabbing it. So that I knew, what I, so if I needed something, I'd go to it and look for it. And I was finding ways around. Like, if I talked to somebody on the phone a half an hour later, I might not remember that I talked to that person on the phone. So my neuro, neuropsychologist made recommendations three days a week, and I sent a report to him at the end of every week, explaining what the pros were, what the cons were. And uh, it took it took until September for me to actually go back full time into the role. So that graduated return, being able to job share. I did not make any decisions unilaterally. We had to create systems in the department uh, for information sharing so that I was able to read and understand things prior to making decisions. That graduated return was was critical. If I had gone back full-time, I would have failed miserably in a very, very short time. And it isn't just about you have to find different ways of doing things. It is about the fatigue as well because you're going back to a job that now requires you might have been reading books for pleasure at home. Now you're in my job, I was reading legislation, policy, policy implementation, all of those kinds of things. That is exhausting in itself because it's a whole other way, other level of cognitive thinking. So I, I would highly recommend people consider graduated returns. Now for me, I was on long-term disability. 
So um, financially, it meant two days a week I still received that long-term disability payment until I was able to go back full-time. So it was doable. It was doable financially for me to do the graduated return. Yeah. And you know, what a blessing that you did have an employer who was so accommodating um, because not everybody has that experience and it's so unfortunate. Um, So I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that you had such a great experience acclimating back into your career. Um, So Lynn, you have also written a book called Steering Through It, and I do have the link in the show notes. Um, And if you could just give us like a Cliff Notes version of what the book is. I I know it's your story, but um, what can readers anticipate learning about in your book? Yeah, it is a story, but it's a story written not by just myself. It's written by my family. Um, I, I was so blessed to have a support network, and I help people now who don't, which is it, it's just so sad. I, I was so blessed, and I know how blessed I am. My daughter wrote about experiences in the book. My father wrote about the day I was in a craniotomy, my sisters, my brother, because you don't go through something like this alone. Um, it, it affects every single person around you, your friends. Uh, and, and I felt like this was a story not just about surviving a life-threatening illness, but I've had people read this book who've been in the middle of a divorce or uh, bereaving, in the middle of a bereavement over the loss of a loved one, and they found meaning in here. It's helped them to get through. So, yeah, the book is, it, I mean, it really does start with um, the diagnosis and that journey and the mindset and how do you deal with that. But it's not just me going through it. It's everyone else. I'm very, very proud of, of this book. It's changed um, from the feedback I've had, the testimonials and the reviews, and the personal connections, I think it's met my goal in, in helping many, many people get through life crises in their lives is the way I would describe it. Great. And like I mentioned, that is in the show notes. For anyone interested, they can go find that link. Um, and so, Lynn, we're just about out of time, but I would love to have you give us your final thoughts, your parting words of wisdom for our listeners. <laughs> it's about it's really about perception everyone I mean when you don't wait for a crisis in your life to take a step back and say what am I going to do different those things that I used to think were crises before are absolutely trivial they don't matter some of the things we're getting caught up in today not just with COVID with politics with whatever I, I would just highly recommend everybody take a step back and say if if I found out today that uh, uh, yeah my future's not going to look like I thought it was what would I do differently and move towards a path of joy and acceptance and what's your real, what's your purpose here in, in life? Kindness, forgiving. It really is about perception and everybody find humor, find laughter in every day. That's what mm, I would say. Yes. Yes. Find laughter. Great <laughs> point. All right, Lynn. Well, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story with our listeners. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Annie. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And just again, you can find the link to Lynn's book in the show notes.
And another thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. You can grab your free consultation at integratedbraincenters.com. You can find previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or at basisoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also remember to join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you in the next episode.